0: Can you, uh, can you turn me up in case you play something? Because I can't hear anything out of these. Oh,
1: gosh. Oh, gosh. Not being, not being,
0: not being, not
2: being. And we are back in business once again. This is the atp podcast and um yeah this is a good quality episode here and we got a a good quality guest as well so of course it's your boy jay we got mark figaroa and uh is it going by javier today
0: oh uh, we'll do that for the tennis world javier is fine
2: all right you could tighten up on the mic just a little bit for me all right all right there he is. sounds beautiful there we go there we go
3: uh figaroa man how's your week been how you feeling what's new in your world not much, just uh, started practicing and ready to talk some tennis.
2: Same, man, same. I, uh, I got a little more free time this week, so I'm hoping to hit more balls. I, I went and played on the clay. I hadn't even told you this yet. Oh, nice. And I don't, that's a different type of fatigue. Uh, clay is the most tiring tennis experience I've ever had when just hitting balls, so something to talk
3: about later, maybe. But uh, what do you got on the agenda for us right now? What are we talking about? all right first off we're gonna talk about something that you brought up um it happened at the french open as well but i didn't bring it up but since it happened again let's just talk about it okay wimbledon matches pro for possible irregular betting patterns Mm. now this is you sent it to me yeah um there's been irregular betting in two matches at wimbledon Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts
2: I know that there has been a history and past in the professional tennis world where people have been caught red-handed for this. So, um, I believe it. I believe that it's true. I believe that it happened. I'm curious, who are the players being accused? Because as far as I'm informed, they haven't dropped any names. And they're usually very random players. It's not mm-hmm. any of the, the big, heavy names,
3: usually. So, Right. Now, there was a Russian tennis player who was arrested at the French Open mm-hmm. for the betting as well. She yeah. got caught. Now, she wasn't a big name. so They usually was, aren't, right? Yeah, she was outside 150 in the world. Mm-hmm. So, But it's happened a lot. So uh, uh, we'll see what happens. The reason why it's brought up today is because it could lead to a bigger story. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I do have one little take from that. Um, do you think that some of these players that are tempted to take part in these um these these crimes i guess you'd call them does it
3: have anything to do with how little money you make when you're outside the that's top exactly 50? my point yes uh, a lot of them do do that for the extra little bit of cash that they're being paid on the side yeah yeah i wouldn't be surprised at all yeah i mean it just seems like the quality on
2: pay there's a huge drop off once you reach a certain threshold on the tour so right
3: yeah uh
0: so uh our special guest Javier, what are your thoughts on that topic Um, I think it's exactly what you're saying. I think there's not a whole lot of money to be had once it's divided amongst the top players. And uh, it could probably look pretty attractive to be thrown some money, you know? And uh, I I think it's absolutely true. Kind of opens your eyes a little bit. Makes you wonder what else goes on in tennis. You know, a lot of questions there.
3: Right. That makes a lot of sense. Moving on. Let's talk about the women's final. Ash Barty wins Wimbledon now if you don't mind i'd like to play um her post-match interview which she told us a lot of information that we hadn't known so if you yeah can just
1: ahead. just even chatting to my team now once once we've come off the court um they kept a lot of cards close to their chest and, and didn't tell me a lot of the odds um didn't tell me a lot of the um i suppose the. The information that they'd got from from other specialists, and that there, there weren't too many radiologists in Australia who had seen my injury, and in a sense, it was a it was a two month injury. Um, and being able to um, to be able to play here at Wimbledon was nothing short of a miracle. And I think um, them not telling me that um, just just proved how how much we were against the odds. And I think now to be to be playing pain free through through this event uh, was incredible. And it's it's funny sometimes that you can just the stars align you can you can think positively you can plan and, and sometimes the stars do align you can you can chase after your dreams but it was certainly now chatting to them um looked a lot less likely than than i felt um statistically so i think um it's it's pretty an incredible it's been an incredible month okay elena
3: now she stated that she had injuries and she has been withdrawing from a lot of tournaments. She withdrew in Italy right. against um, Goff. She was beating Goff and she withdrew. Then at the French Open, she withdrew again. Now, as you just heard, she didn't think she was going to have... She, she didn't think that she uh, wasn't going to uh, have a lot of pain and she didn't know the severity of her injury. Are you surprised that she won Wimbledon?
2: Um, You know what's funny? Uh, If you would have asked me that question in her path on the way to Wimbledon, I would have told you don't expect too much out of her because we knew about her injuries and stuff like that. But, you know, after watching her first round, it almost is like I got instant amnesia. I totally didn't even realize she was an injured player just recently. And she kind of went through her draw looking just healthy and fit and playing great tennis, and I forgot. So um, I think that that is a a very valuable psychology that some of the professional coaches do where they omit information from the player to prevent their psychology from changing. Uh, I hear a lot about uh, Serena's coach doing that. So I think that's cool.
3: Now, <clears throat> she was an ex- she was the betting favorite, but it's pretty cool that she didn't know the severity of her injury and yet she just rammed through right. the whole tournament. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Martina Navratilova had high praise for Ash Barty. She said that she is the most complete player on the WTA tour. And to win on grass, you need to be a complete player. What are your thoughts on Navratilova's comments on Ash Barty? I disagree
2: with uh, grass being the surface that requires you to be the most complete player. Um, I think I would go as far as saying maybe that's Clay. Um, I'm not a professional athlete and statistically it doesn't seem that way, but to me I think that you could find more success on grass with a less complete game than the other surfaces if your weapons are big enough. Now, in Barty's isolated case, I think that she what she's saying is true. You know, Barty doesn't have a massive weapon, so for her to be successful on grass, she does need to have a very complete game. But, for example, you know, we talk about how, how Djokovic could possibly lose at Wimbledon. And we both said it would be someone with a huge serve and a huge forehand. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't
3: fully agree with saying you need to have the perfectly complete game to win on grass. Now, this is a pretty interesting stat as well. <clears throat> the last Australian female to win at Wimbledon is Gulligan. And she won in 1980. Wow. So it's been a 40-year drought, and Ash Barty just wins mm. as an Australian. So now let's ask Javier that question. What are your thoughts on Martina Navratilova's
0: comments about Ash Barty? Um, I mean, I think, I think we've kind of seen a few things before, right? Like, I mean, Federer obviously has won Wimbledon plenty of times. He is a complete player, which I mean, I think does help to kind of mitigate some of those situations you come in. I mean, when you play a Del Potro or you play someone, like you said, with that big serve, that big forehand that can push you around on grass, it does help to kind of, you know, get your footing back in and kind of control the situation. But to be honest, I feel like any big hitter, again, Del Potro. Uh, Milos Raonic, I feel like people felt had a big chance at Wimbledon before too for the same reason. Uh, Kigrios, I think if you talk about him, like his serve and his forehand – And the squash shot that he hits is enough to get him by a lot of these players in his worst fitness. So I don't think you have to be complete. I think it helps. um, But I think you could definitely see anybody take Wimbledon on a hot day. Okay. Now my take
3: is you actually need to have a complete game on grass and on clay. Now on Mm -hmm. clay, you need the point construction because of the length of the ball rally. Now to set up the point, now nowadays you normally don't come at the net a lot at Wimbledon mm-hmm. back in the 90s and 80s you were coming in a lot so yeah, you needed yeah. a, a full game to come in Yeah, you can't just strike the ball hard and then come in because you mm-hmm. don't know so I would have to agree with having the complete game it definitely helps that slice she slices in puts people in danger she can come in, come in behind it and that makes a big difference Mm-hmm. Now, on hardcourt, it's completely different. Mm-hmm. I think that on hard court, you can get away with not having a complete game. Mm-hmm. Because the ball doesn't really stay low. You don't need the point construction as you do at the French Open, right. where it's long points. Mm-hmm. So, I have to agree with Martina. Mm-hmm. Now, here comes the big question. Even in this podcast, we were saying that Osaka was the true number one player in the world she Mm -hmm. won the us open she won the australian open and because of the covid she was the number two player and ash barty was the number one Mm -hmm. ash barty just won wimbledon Mm -hmm. do you think that barty is now the true number one player in the world that's uh that's a tricky question so
2: I do not think Ash Barty is the number one player in the world on hard courts. I would be willing to accept the hot take that she's the best on all other surfaces right now today. So then it goes into, okay, well, is 65% of the tour on hard courts? Yes. So technically speaking, Naomi Osaka is the best player in the world on 65% of the tour events. So technically I would give it to Osaka. But um, I I do think that it's more valuable and more important to be great on all four surfaces. Or all three, sorry. So uh, my personal opinion is that I would rather have Barty's game than Osaka's game today for me. But um, if we're just talking points, statistics, success,
3: you got to go Osaka. What are your thoughts? Do you think Barty is the true
0: number one player in the world over Osaka? Um. I mean, I honestly, when it when it comes to like Naomi Osaka and um, when you're talking about Vardy, I hmm, how to put this delicately, I think don't put it delicately at all. <laughs> oh, well, you can always clip me out later. So I feel like women's tennis is really dry to begin with. So, I mean, it's really tough for me to get into it. So I'm going to go by statistics. If she's number one on the chart, that's good enough for me. I haven't been excited about women's games since uh, Mugurusa was like becoming dominant and Hennen, uh, Justine Hennen's one-handed backhand. So, I mean, Serena's era was beautiful. It's just it kind of all blended into a similar game. And, and to be honest, the, the title doesn't mean as much as maybe you know, the shot selection or maybe some of the clutch points that they played out. And I don't see a lot of that. So right now I'll go by just what's registered on the point board. Well, that's a fair point. Um, when um,
3: obviously the women's tour, to me, it, it is decent. But I, I see your point. Back in 2008, the women's tour was filling out more seats than the men. Right. You had a uh, Sharapova, Serena Williams, Azarenka, mm-hmm. and. The, the rivalries Kleister's were amazing. Yes. Yeah, yeah they were, it was legit, full-blown, 100% mm-hmm. matches the whole time. Oh, Kleisters, yeah. yes. Clysters. that's absolutely. another one. Mm-hmm. So I, I see your point. But right now, women's tennis with all these up-and-comers, Iga Sviacek, that's one of my favorite players. Yeah.
0: Well, and Coco Gauff mm-hmm. and Coco Sloan are Gauff. great
3: players, and I, I love watching them play, but I, you know, like, yeah. And then you have uh, um, the girl that made it to the finals at the Australian Open. Man, I'm forgetting her name. Brady. Jen Brady. Yeah, Brady. She's also solid. So, women's tennis is coming up for sure. Mm -hmm. Now, before getting to the men's results, we had a Jack Sock viewing. We haven't seen him in a long time. He's been playing a lot of challenger tournaments. Now, he played in a 250 event on grass at Newport, Rhode Island, where they're going to induct the Hall of Famers, which is... Unfortunately, um, Djokovic's coach. I love Goran Ivanisevic, mm-hmm. but I hate the fact that he's improved Go- uh, Djokovic's serve that much. He look. Can we can we talk about Goran? We can, but do you want to talk about Jack Sock? Let's talk about Jack Sock, and next. then we can talk about Goran, leading into Novak Djokovic.
2: That sounds good. That sounds good.
3: All right. He He beat Bolt, who's in the first round. Yeah. He beat Nishioka, who's a tough opponent. Right. He played Kevin Anderson today and lost in three. Okay. Uh, What are your thoughts? Did you see any of his matches? I watched um, all of the Bolt match. I saw highlights
2: of Nishioka, and I didn't know he lost to Kevin Anderson.
3: Do you think he can get back to top 10 form?
2: (sighs) Hmm. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm really not loving the way his backhand is looking right now. and um, His backhand in comparison to the way the rest of the tour is looking, I just don't see it matching up. He's going to need to make some major improvements to that. From a a physical standpoint, I think he'll be fine. The forehand, beautiful. Volley's beautiful. The serve, good enough. If he's not able to at least get that backhand back to where it was maybe five years ago, six years ago. I don't know how long ago that was. Where even then I didn't love it, but it was a bit more consistent. um, I don't see him breaking the top
3: 20. He is very sporadic right now. He was up and down. He doesn't have the level up. Mm -hmm. He never had good footwork to begin with. So he's going to have to depend on his serve. And his serve let him down against Anderson. Mm-hmm. And he's gonna have to have more more uh, shots on the forehand if he's not gonna have a decent backhand. Right. So, those are my thoughts on that. Now here's a extremely hot take: Jack Sock, the quote unquote best doubles player in the world, mm-hmm. is going to play with Nick Kyrgios in Atlanta doubles. Yeah. Oh wow. What are your thoughts on the Jack Sock Nick Kyrgios pairing? Uh, I I
2: have great opinions on this, but I know Javier does as well. So I'd love to hear what you got to say, Javier. Um, first
0: off, that's exciting as all hell. So that's really great. I you know I'm a huge you know Curios fan. So that firepower that Curios brings in doubles, and to kind of bring a more experienced already you know their doubles player really makes me curious to see what this would be like. Um, I was just watching highlights right now of Jack Sock versus uh, Anderson, and I think. You know the serve looks good like you were saying motion looks a little sloppy but i think he looks good enough that i would say you know kind of like tennis Sangrin's hot string the last couple years he could have a hot moment like that so that's exciting news for sure that's that's a big thumbs up for me i think that they're potentially
2: uh if i'm a seated doubles player in a tournament i would be angry if they were in my early draw Mm -hmm. that's a very dangerous doubles combination uh Very quality backhand line returns from Kyrgios. Amazing serves from both of them. Very crafty. A lot of short angles. They are dangerous. Um, I think they have like four highlights of doubles for the entire year in one labor cut match. Um, These guys are special together. So, uh, you know, doubles is very energy oriented and they're close friends. Right. Um, You know, speaking of which, uh, Javier met Kyrgios when Kyrgios was out in Indian Wells early to support Jack Sock's pre-qualifier tournament. There you go. Yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah, he rolled through. Yeah, the, uh, so they, yeah.
2: they definitely have a bond. So I think that
3: they're, they're my favorite to win the tournament. I don't even know who else is in the draw. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, Kyrgios has one of the biggest serves on tour. Right. And Jack Sock has hands. Right. And if Jack Sock's serve is even 70% of what it could be, he's holding. Yeah, and yeah. he's going to feel less mental pressure in doubles, right. I'd assume. So. He'll that is more. correct. They'll play free. Right. Now more returns. Um, Andrescu is going to make her return in Montreal. She is the defending champion there. What are your thoughts on Andrescu playing in Montreal? Do we know much about her health? Uh she's not gonna play in the Olympics due to her health. Uh-huh. So She's aiming for Montreal, where she is the defending champion. Now, she's clearly... This, she's
2: Canadian. Right. Um, I do think she's one of those quote-unquote complete WTA players. Um, I do think she has a lot of quality shots and great variations. Um, if she can return healthy, mentally and physically,
3: um, expect her to be a threat at that tournament. Yeah, I agree 100%. And then another massive return nadal is skipping the olympics Mm -hmm. and is going to play at the city open in washington whoa where nick Kyrios is scheduled to play as well Ah, what are your thoughts on Rafael nadal playing at the city open um
2: i love it i love that um i'm very glad he's skipping the olympics he already has a gold medal right uh why risk your body um and you know go go to one of these little uh 250-ish 500-ish tournaments and you know get ready for your hard court run because this is a tournament where we expect Nadal to safely play and be able to make a decent run and he is going to run into a potential curios or someone else where he can really see where he's at physically as well so
3: awesome what, what are your thoughts Javier on Nadal
0: returning at the city open Oh, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think you've seen a lot of like Federer and Nadal skipping some of these, you know, at least in the past and maybe not involving all the injuries, but they have definitely kind of moved their schedule around to kind of get that practice and save themselves for those bigger tournaments. And it obviously, I mean, it's still a top three dominated, you know, sport. You know, it's and I think it's a smart move, and I think it is good to see you know those potential clash-ups like Nadal and uh, and Curios or just in those smaller circumstances. But I think it's the right move. Um, I'm not even a hundred percent sure what the lineup looks like for the Olympics right now. Right so, now, oh, it, it's horrible. Yeah. Uh, if you listen to the podcast,
3: there's a ton of big names that have dropped out. It's it's not even yeah worthy. But in the past, Medvedev and pass have played. In the City Open. Mm -hmm. So you don't know what other big names can play there. Yeah,
2: this is one of those sleeper tournaments where it can be very hectic or very light year to year. So it'll be interesting to see. I think the fact that the Olympics is happening and we're seeing a lot of pros drop out of it. We may see them kind of fill in at City Open.
3: Right. And then the other big news. Federer decided not to play at the Olympics. He's stating that it is a knee issue. In this podcast, we figured that he was going to retire after the Olympics. We actually thought that he was holding off Mm -hmm. to play the Olympics in Japan, and then he was going to retire. What are your thoughts on Federer not playing in the Olympics? Uh, That lets me know the severity of the knee.
2: Um, His confidence is low. Uh, We saw him get bageled on grass for the very first time and get bageled on the tour for the very second time. In his entire career, and my only explanation for something like that is that he has to be injured. Um, so I think that it is as serious as he's making it sound, and he needs to rest it and he needs to figure out what his next
0: step is because we could be seeing the tail end of a career,
3: right? Javier, what are your takes?
0: I absolutely agree. Um, I think Federer is at a point now where you can't really fake you know being injured you can't really just go out there and see what you did and then go oh you know as soon as I took a loss like you know this was what was going on at that time I think a lot of players have done that in the past and kind of played it off until it came out Federer's is not at that point anymore however you know maybe I'm biased because you know I'm a huge Federer fan but I do feel like that's the right move for him I think skipping that that tournament and just kind of Investing back in his body, maybe he wants one more. Maybe he wants one more Masters. Maybe he just wants one more major, you know, five hundred tournament or two for anything at all. But I don't think Federer is going to actually retire until he gains one more title. I think that's for sure. Now, in my opinion, I, I honestly think that he wants to play at
3: least one more Wimbledon, and if if his body can hold, I think he's going to hold out for it. Mm. Uh, obviously, because of COVID, Wimbledon wasn't played in twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. So as long as his body can hold, I think he's going to make it. Mm-hmm. So those are my opinions. Maybe he'll make it to the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. And we spoke about this last week. He did He did make it to fourth round quarterfinals, whatever it was, yeah. at Wimbledon. Right. So it's not as if he's playing super low. He's still
2: playing at a professional level. Right. That's undeniable.
3: Right, so that's not a big, big deal. Mm-hmm. So now let's get to... Novak Djokovic hmm. but first let's talk about Goran being inducted into the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. any thoughts on that? Um, I think Goran is one of those players
2: who if you weren't a part of that era as far as being a spectator he could have easily been forgotten but he's done a very good job uh, post-retirement with maintaining very high relevance and still being possibly even more successful off the court as he was on the court. Um he we've seen him bring success to I'm gonna forget names here, but Chilich for sure, uh is the one that really rings a bell for me. Um he stepped in with uh who was it? It was one more was it Milos? Yes he for stepped in a little bit. Yeah, a little bit with Milos Raonic. Uh now we're seeing him with Djokovic and I think I'm forgetting two other players. Um but you know what he did, I mean he has one Wimbledon title, I believe, is what it is. Two, I believe. Two, okay. He has two Wimbledon titles. During a tough era. Yes. A very tough era. uh, I would almost cross reference him with being very Andy Murray esque. Yes. uh, As far as what he did in the climate, the climate and environment he was in uh, with just a really big lefty serve.
3: Right. Yeah. Goron is, to me, one of the biggest reasons why Djokovic is where he's at right now. Mm -hmm. He has improved his serve 100%. Right. Djokovic was susceptible to low balls. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyrgios pointed it out mm-hmm. and now he's slicing even more mm-hmm. he's coming to net a little more mm-hmm. so to me it's one of the main reasons this Goran has really improved his game and changed it a little bit mm-hmm. now he beat Shapovalov in the semifinals and Shapo had an interesting thing to say about Djokovic if you don't mind playing the clip
0: uh, I believe that you've heard that Novak has uh, forwarded some select
3: words of praise your way after the match, and uh, given
0: your the state of your relationship, would you be happy if sometime in the future Novak Djokovic could actually be, let's say, one of your mentors? Thank
4: yes, you. I'd be very happy if he could be my mentor, because that means he would stop playing. So. <laughs> Um, no, definitely. He's he's uh, he's an incredible guy and uh, I don't think he's praised enough. I think, uh, you know, even he came up to me in the locker room and, and he just, you know, said a couple words that, that, you know, for me, it means a lot and he really doesn't have to, you know. And uh, he just told me he knows how, how difficult it is for me right now, but uh, he told me that, that everything will come, you know. So for me, it's 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 super, uh, you know, it, it's big coming from, from someone like him. And, and like I said, he doesn't have to do this, you know, so it just shows. The type of person he is, and, and it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just really nice for, for someone like me to, to hear from him. So for sure, I have tremendous respect for him, and uh, you know he's, he's definitely, for sure, one, one of the greatest players of all time, so it's, uh, it's, it's awesome to, to hear those words from him.
3: Okay. Now you heard him say that he doesn't get enough praise, and that he went up to him and uh, gave him some encouragement, which leads to the follow-up question obviously Novak won Wimbledon a lot of people don't like him fans Mm -hmm. do you think that Chapeau is correct and that people need to give Djokovic a little more praise absolutely Um, Djokovic is
2: not as fun to watch as Federer and Nadal Djokovic is not as relatable or likable or personable as Federer and Nadal these are facts um, I think that Djokovic had a period of time where he felt very mistreated by the fans and he struggled to react in a way that's genuine. You know, first we saw him being kind of overly nice, overly friendly, mm-hmm. trying to emulate the Fetter and Adal genuine personality. And um, a lot of fans sense that. They go, you know, you seem fake, or you're not actually that happy. Stuff like that. We saw Curios literally exploit that and discuss that on podcasts and radio, right? Um, and then you know, we've seen the other side of Djokovic. The you know, getting disqualified from entire tournaments, his uh, his breathing you know, problems, his, his rants, his breathing problems. His uh, uh, I think the early portion of his career, he didn't earn respect from fans, and he's paying the price for that now. Um, So I think that Djokovic today, what he does off the court and what he does on the court deserve very deep respect. Um, And I think that he's sharing an era with people who figured it out much faster and much earlier. And it's hard for us to respect him the same as those guys.
3: Now, uh, Javier, I know you have a ton to say about this, so I don't want you to forget. So go ahead and say what you got to say. Do you think that Djokovic deserves praise
0: as Shapovalov stated I think he has more than enough praise already if at all too much (laughs) so I mean I'll just I'll just be real with you I mean I and again it's my opinion so it's what I'm allowed to say but you know the same amount of praise should go to Mayweather for beating Pacquiao great job at ducking the greats for so long that you finally made a career I I respect Andy Murray so much more (laughs) For trying his heart out, being genuine, and grabbing a Wimbledon than I ever will for Djokovic ranting to a bunch of couldn't-live-up-to-their-name kids nowadays. So good job for slapping Shapovalov in the back or whoever he talked to. Good job, kiddo. You're not as good as the other three that dominated me for so long. No one loved me. Maybe they'll love me after they hear what I told you. Great.
3: Um, Well said. Well said. Tell us how you feel, Figueroa. Please. Um... I honestly feel that... Now, here's what I really have to say uh, in a more diplomatic way. Mm. Which I I appreciate what you said, though, because uh, I I agree a lot of what you said. Mm. Now, people say that Djokovic was in a great era. What people don't realize is that Federer did his damage up until 2011. Mm -hmm. After Djokovic started winning his slams, you know how many slams Federer had between 11 and 21? How many? Four. Four Mm -hmm. slams. Mm -hmm. So he had 16 between 2000 and 2010. Mm -hmm. Is that really competing against Federer? Not really, Mm -hmm. because he was in the tail end Mm -hmm. of his career. Now, if you want to say he's competing against Nadal, okay, I'll give you that one. Okay. But I'd have to disagree with people saying, oh, he's competing in the greatest era of all time. Mm -hmm. So I do have to say that. Right. Now, let's get a little bit more opinionated. Who do you think would win? Now... Here's before I I ask the question. Here's a couple of stats I found out. Three years, Djokovic won three titles, mm-hmm. and Federer won three titles. Mm-hmm. Do you understand the statement? So they I'm both making? in one year. In one year, one
2: calendar year, they both accomplished winning three
3: slams. Correct. Okay. Three so, times. Three times. Mm-hmm. Who would win, prime Djokovic or prime Federer? I have Uh, an answer. Can you give
2: me a setting? Like, what tournament are they at? What What are the conditions? Does it have to be a setting? Uh, I think
3: the conditions do matter. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Let's go. Obviously, Federer is going to be the favorite on grass. Obviously, and then Djokovic would be the favorite in Australia. Australia. Yeah. Right. So, so to keep it even,
0: let's go the French Open. Federer. Federer is going to win three tournaments that year, and Djokovic might squeak by the Australian that would be a 3 to 1 all year. Premium
2: Federer is in my opinion the third best clay court player in history. Okay, fair enough. So, I I'm I'm potentially
3: seeing uh straight sets. Federer to me has more of a complete game. Yeah. Just as we talked about with Ash Barty versus Osaka. Right. He he has more of a complete game than Djokovic. Mhm. So to me it's going to be Federer. Right. Now let's talk about going to the final. Berrettini. Mm-hmm. Now, I did state that Berrettini was going to give Djokovic a hard time. Mm-hmm. Djokovic won. He, sorry, he lost only two sets the entire tournament. mm mm-hmm. He lost one in the first round, and then he lost to Berrettini. mm mm-hmm. So he only dropped two sets. Mm-hmm. And Berrettini did not fade. Mm-hmm. He only lost by a break each set. He also called Berrettini the Italian hammer. And he told, during this press conference, that Berrettini gave uh, Djokovic a run for his money. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Berrettini did a good job against Djokovic? Um...
2: Yes and no. I think that um, saying he did a good job when he lost in four sets is almost like saying getting a B on a test is a a good grade. I mean, technically speaking, yes, but um, it's a good job when you win, you know. Um, We've seen Stan Wawrinka's, the Fedders, you know, win against the odds and stuff like that. Um, Berrettini, he was missing it. You know, his performance, in my opinion, was slightly streaky. Um, He was performing at that Grand Slam center court level here and there throughout the match. And you needed the entire time to beat the big three. So that's what was missing. Obviously, he does have the shots. He does have the potential. He's a great athlete. You know, and he did play a good tournament and final. But he did
0: not do what he needed to do to win that match. What are your thoughts? I don't think he did a great job. And the only reason I say that, and I have a good reason for it, is you know what a great job looks like, especially in a final like that, and this is exactly why I said the newer generation just doesn't have it. It, It's just not what it's supposed to be. When you look at, like, Kigrios versus uh, Federer in uh, Davis Cup, I believe. Was that the one where they ran like five sets and he just barely lost or or three sets and barely lost to Federer? That must have been Labor Cup. That was Labor Labor Cup. Labor Cup, Labor Cup, I'm sorry. That is the definition of a good job. Like that is you are in the face of something that is big and you went ahead and said, look, I'm going to do what I can even if I'm not winning. Or, you know, that match that went on over eight hours. You remember that a couple years ago. There's a few key instances where I can look at it and go, wow, like that is really throwing it all out there.
2: You can be proud of that loss. You can be proud of that
0: loss. And I have a term for it. It's the Robredo effect. So, like, Tommy Robredo loved beating people to get to the next round just to get tossed for no reason. Yeah, I can see that. Or losing. So that doesn't count to me. I told you guys from the start, when Berrettini was going to play Djokovic in the final, I don't want to wake up tomorrow. I see. Uh, to me, uh,
3: Djokovic is getting away with murder, basically. Mm-hmm. It's free. He is serving 78 to 85 mile an hour second serves. Mm-hmm. He did it against Nadal. He did it against Berrettini in the final. And he is not getting punished for doing that. Mm-hmm. So he, if somebody would take the initiative and pounce on his serve, he's going to get free points. Mm -hmm. but nobody is doing it and it's extremely irritating right Mm -hmm. so now the big big question and then we'll call it he is in route to winning the grand slam which hasn't been done since rod labor did it Mm -hmm. and potentially the golden slam what right since steffi groff now just uh just to explain to listeners what you're talking about
2: uh, that Grand Slam, Calendar Slam is winning all four slams in the same calendar year. The Golden Slam is when you do that as well as winning the Olympics,
3: correct? Correct. Okay, yeah. just want to make that clear. Djokovic said that it is a possibility that he will play in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Of course he will. So, your thoughts. Do you think that Federer can win the uh, Olympic medal plus the U.S. Open? You, you're saying, do I think Federer could? I mean, sorry, Djokovic. Absolutely. Uh,
2: he would be an idiot to not play both of those tournaments for two reasons. For one, he's playing some of the best tennis of his life. And two, everyone is dropping out of the Olympics. Who, who's going to stop him? Who can stop him at the Olympics? Only person beating Djokovic at those Olympics is himself. So, um, I have very high expectations that he can accomplish it as long as he remains healthy.
0: I literally can't even name anyone who's going to stop him. What are your thoughts? I mean, that pretty much puts it out there. I mean, to me, that that situation with the Olympics is kind of his situation right now on the ATP Tour. Minus, like, maybe running into Nadal, you know, on clay. is like the last viable stop, but... Or running into someone like a healthy Kigrios early on in a, in a draw. But, yeah, I mean, it's free. Why not? Yeah, Federer,
3: Nadal, Shapovalov, Milos Raonic, mm-hmm. uh, those, Stan Wawrinka, they're not going to play in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So you would pencil him in for the gold medal. Absolutely. Now, for the U.S. Open, if he's not giving the Mickey Mouse draw that he was giving them Wimbledon... Trouble. It's trouble. Yeah. As we just stated, you don't need as much skill, quote unquote, as Navratilova said, Mm -hmm. to play on hard court. Mm -hmm. So do you think that he can win the U.S. Open to complete the calendar slam? I think it's
2: out of all four slams, the U.S. Open is the one he is the least likely to win as the number one seed. Um, I think that a lot of the, the the ATP young guys they flourish at the US Open Uh, the next gen that's what I want to call them a lot of those guys we're going to see them really flower and come out a lot more confident on that surface uh, the CC Paz, the Medvedevs, Barev, right. um, you know, Curios included. Right. Um, all of Rubelev. these guys, Rublev. Yeah. It's they're going, don't forget Sberv. Not, not only is and he going to, yes. he's going to have to play probably three to four of those guys in route to a championship. He's going to play them for up to five sets. You know, it's not going to be so one sided. And although he'll beat the first two or three, having to do them consecutively in route to a final and then perform your best tennis at the end is not an easy task. I'm I'm really not thinking he wins the U.S. Open, but he is probably still the
3: number one pick. Right. What are your thoughts?
0: I agree. I mean, it's, you know, I don't want to backtrack, but just to add more context to it. It, this is why that point was brought up earlier about you know, the, the, draw, the people he's playing, the draw that he's in, the era that he's playing. Do you remember back when Djokovic was on his Wilson head racket days? He was playing healthy Wawrinkas, healthy Songas, like people who could really put the ball to the line and push you back, and you could meet them in the second round. And yeah, it's no wonder true. he wasn't unstoppable back then. I don't think it's necessarily that. I mean, yes, he's improved tremendously. But when were you getting that kind of quality lineup now? So, can he win it? I mean, I'd be an idiot if I said it's not likely. It's it's very likely that he could take the U.S. Open. However, like, like uh, Jarrett was saying, it's a strong chance that uh, he's going to run into more trouble than anywhere else, for sure. Right. So, I'll be watching.
3: And then you have the unseated players who could draw... For Mm -hmm. example, Nick Kyrgios. Yeah, which I would love, by the way. And then a lot of people are saying that Nadal can't win a hardcourt match against Djokovic. Mm -hmm. Which statistically, it's true. But the past two years, uh, three out of the four years, sorry. Two out of the four, sorry. Uh, Nadal has won the US Open.
2: Yeah, and he's looked very good at the US Open. And he's looked
3: very good. And he can take the heat Mm -hmm. of... The U.S. Open. Yeah. So that's another factor where Djokovic may have a little bit of problems. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what happens. That concludes this episode. Now we have a special announcement. There's massive, huge Osaka news. We are going to have a podcast in between this week's and next week's podcast. It'll probably be released on Sunday night. Yeah. Where it's nothing but Osaka news. So if you're an Osaka fan. Or hater. Or hater. hater. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Listen. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and I hope you guys were entertained. Have a good one. Uh, ATP Podcast and Javier, thanks for blessing us
2: with your presence. Hey, thank you for having me. Bye, guys.